to episode six of the Hello Body podcast with your hosts, Melissa Saccolario and myself, Katie Weber. In this episode, we get to talk to Jenna Corsi. Jenna Corsi is a registered dietitian who is based in Hawaii. Jenna counsels her clients virtually, helping them to cultivate compassion and develop a healthier connection with food and their own bodies with a focus on intuitive eating and health at every size. You can find Jenna on Instagram at balanced.nutrition, and you can also head over to her website, Jenna Corsi Nutrition, that's J-E-N-N-A-C-O-R-S-I nutrition.com, and check out her free Grace Over Guilt guide. In this episode, we talk about the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating, Uh, We talk about healing your relationship with food and your body. We talk about Jenna's own history with disordered eating and how listening to a talk from registered dietitian Erin Flores when she was a student changed everything. All right. Hope you enjoy it. Hello. 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 Hi, Jenna. Hi. How are you guys? <laughs> Good. Hi. You got on everything. I know. I don't know if you've never used Anchor before. There is that little like log on thing at the beginning. Yeah. I didn't know if you were warned about that. Have you used this program before? I don't think so. I've done two, one or two other podcasts, but I forget what they use. So I don't think so. Well, we're happy well, we you're can... here. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so excited to have Aww. you. Yeah. Um, Thanks for the invite. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. Um, I, I already told Katie, but I got braces today. So I I have a slight list. <laughs> I kind of feel like a 12 Been year there. right now, but um, yeah. I'm still getting used to them. So um, yeah. I apologize for my yeah. speech impediment. <laughs> No worries. I, I don't hear I had anything. Invisalign, so I, I totally understand. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, you have a beautiful smile, so hopefully I'll have that Aww. too. You do have a beautiful <laughs> oh, thank smile. You. I oh, thank that. you so much. Thank oh. you. So sweet of you guys. Good. Uh, so, mm. Jenna, tell us, why don't we start out with, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your history with the dieting and body image? You're a woman, so I know we all have them. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I um, currently I'm 26 years old right now, and so about like what five years ago I was in college, and that's when I dealt with all of my body image issues and all that, and my disordered eating, um, which is you know pretty common for, which I hope that it's not going to be as common as years go on, but um, common for uh, people in nutrition field. So. Um, I was studying at Framingham State University and just a lot of, you know, you focus on health so much that you feel like you have to be this perfect eater. And what comes with that is disordered eating. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and then that just created a lot of um, shame around my body and just trying to fix my body. And um, it was just all consuming and it was not fun. A lot of body checking, a lot of um, just doing exercises to, to manipulate my body, you know. Yeah, what have you said, Melissa? Your body is your brand or something? The the pressure. Oh when yeah, own, when I was when you're an uh, RD or like, oh yeah, oh the personal uh, trainer, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I felt like your body was your business card. And that was really hard to kind of constantly live up to. So yeah. And of course, going through nutrition school and being around people that are constantly showing you their like perfect meals at lunchtime and in class it's yeah. like oh my god I don't eat like that I better get on board quick uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. it's funny it's like it looks funny because I know that the registered dietitian program um, and dietetics like tends to attract people who have food issues mm-hmm. and disordered eating in the first place but then it's like even if you got into the program without those in the first place you'll have them by the time you graduate it's so true it it's must so be so sad but so true yeah, yeah like just to just to be surrounded by that con yeah yeah um, absolutely it's amazing that any any of you guys come out with an anti-diet <laughs> mindset and a haze mindset i know seriously <laughs> yep <laughs> So when you started um, as an RD, did you um, go right into, you know, coaching the non-diet style or did you start out in like the weight-centric paradigm with weight loss? So yes and no. So I I remember in my internship, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Aaron Flores. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes. Awesome. Great guy. Um, he coined the amazing phrase, um, like down with the waitriarchy. He's the one oh, who yeah, coined yeah. the term waitriarchy. Yeah. I think it's so great. <laughs> yes. So he's great. So he actually spoke. We I did an ISPE internship. Um, and so he was one of the speakers at at, um, we did a bunch of classes and he was one of the speakers there and he was talking about health at every size. And, you know, when you're in the internship and in school, you have such a weight centric focus. And so when he was, uh, presenting, I was like, like, this is ridiculous. Like, no, like this is, I I remember leaving being like challenged, but also being like, like, no, that's not going to work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could, you know, I was very, I would say like, looking back, I was very fat phobic, just like, you know, thinking diets work still at that time. Um, yeah. Cause he was just going against something that we were taught for so long. So it was very challenging. Um, but then I get into intuitive eating, read the book and realize, whoa, this is like, you know, I've dealt with all these struggles of disordered eating. And this is something that, sounds like lifelong. It sounds like a very healthy approach to food and my body. And, uh, so yeah, I was super challenged by it. So when I, um, when I moved to Hawaii, I actually got a job at a weight management center, which they also did bariatric surgery. And that was challenging for me because going in, I was like, okay, I'll get experience with counseling. I'll get that experience. But I told myself in college that I am not doing bariatric surgery and I'm not doing eating disorders. (laughs) Those are the two things that I told myself I am not doing. What are the two things that I have done in my past? Those two (laughs) things are like, you know, I'm still doing eating disorders. Um, So it's just super funny how that all came to be. But so during that time, I was really struggling with getting into this health at every size, non-diet approach, yet I was like basically prescribing diets and telling people to cut certain foods out. So it was very morally conflicting. And um, thankfully, I was able to go full time in my practice. So I didn't have to, you know, I quit that job because that moral conflict was just 
so hard for me. And I, you know, I needed a job. I needed to get some sort of experience um, while I was growing my practice. But um, it, it helped me learn a lot about um, that side of things and just where I, you know, don't want to be, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good point. Yeah, I know, Melissa, you've talked a lot about kind of going through now with the master's program of just mm -hmm. feeling like so many um, contradictions and the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not hypocrisy, but just, oh, you yeah. know, the like the, just the such a focus on weight still. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> that must, I can't even yeah. imagine working in a bariatric facility, oh, yeah. like now knowing what I know about intuitive eating and, uh -huh. you know, like I, it's really challenging to just even hear stuff about diets, let alone like yeah. be like, Hey, this is what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine all. It was so, cause I like the work that I do like comes from my heart and like it, I, I feel like how I'm very compassionate and empathetic. Like, and you know, I think that's a lot of dietitians are that way. And the work that I was doing there it just, it, some days I would, I would cry. Like I would, I felt so bad for the things that I was, you know, the, the way that I had to approach things, it just made me so sad. <laughs> and so it was very freeing once I was able to just go full into disordered eating, eating disorders, intuitive eating, that space. Hmm. So that's actually, that's a great segue to our next question. Can you yeah. kind of, cause we have a lot of different people listening to this podcast and some of them don't have the background that um, any of us have. So can you explain sure. the difference between, um, you know, dieting, disordered eating and a true eating disorder? What makes them similar or different? Yeah. So, um, okay. So I, it's tough cause I was thinking about this and, you know, dieting, Obviously, okay, a diet is the way that we eat. So we can just label it as that. But when it comes to um, the diets that we're talking about in the mainstream media, it's all restriction. It's cutting things out. It's having more of this, less of this, whatever. It's telling you exactly what to eat. Um, and that in and of itself can create disordered eating. And I think a lot of people, when they are dieting, that that's what it is. It's disordered eating, but they don't view it as that. They view it as this is good for my health. This is something I, you know, need to do. My doctor told me to do. Um, but then it, it leads to that disordered eating, like, you know, intermittent fasting, like skipping a meal. Like, when is that okay? Like, the, when is that okay? You know, um, our bodies need, and there's not a lot of science behind that either. Um, or long-term research. Uh, our bodies need nourishment every uh, three to four hours. And so there's a lot of the dieting it segues into that disordered eating. And then um, in terms of eating disorders, so this distinction between disordered eating and eating disorders, um, the first thing is the presence and like what kind of symptoms is someone experiencing? So how like the restriction, the binging, um, just what, what are they going? Are they using laxatives, that type of thing? So what kind of um, symptoms are, are happening there. Another thing is the frequency. So how often do they occur? Because if someone binges um, once every two months, you know, that, that's not an eating disorder. Um, so it's more so disordered eating. Um, but there's certain criteria that they have to meet by seeing a uh, professional who can diagnose them of that. Um, yeah, they, they have to get diagnosed with that. And then the 
a couple other things for distinguishing between the disordered eating and eating disorder is um, the persistence of it. So how long someone has been doing those behaviors? Is it, you know, a couple weeks? Is that how long it's been? Or is it months and years? So how long have this, those been behaviors been happening? And then just looking at how this impacts their overall well-being and their ability to go to work or do schoolwork or social socially, like how is it impacting? So um, the professionals at diagnosis, they are able to look at these different things, markers, and see if, yes, this is an eating disorder or no, it's more so disordered eating. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like our healthcare system is, again, so weight-centric weight that if someone's restricting a lot, um, they just view it as like, oh, they're just trying to lose weight and that's good. You know, if they're, let's quote unquote, like in the, and you know, we don't like BMI and that all that stuff, but say that they're in a normal or maybe an overweight category or um, uh, maybe just in a larger body and they're restricting, they just view that as, oh, that's good. They're dieting, they're restricting, you know, that's a good thing. They don't really look at the overall picture of the psychological impacts and the um, yeah, how they're treating their body and just how this is impacting their overall relationship with food. So I hope that answers yeah. your question. So it's, it's kind of hard. It's even tricky for me sometimes to distinguish, okay, is this disordered eating or eating disorder? But uh, professionals are there to um, distinguish that. Wow, that, that was I great. Think also, I, yeah, I mean, I remember I've heard several times, I'm sure you have, you know, this idea that the behaviors that are encouraged in people in larger body mm -hmm. are the same eating behaviors that are discouraged or even labeled as an eating disorder exactly. in smaller bodies. Exactly. And so, you know, I think for me personally, I was never formally diagnosed with binge eating disorder, although I'm sure if I had gone to a professional, I would have been. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think of my own dieting history and what really changed for me was when I started looking at my own behaviors as an eating disorder, you know, mm -hmm, like, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't necessarily, but that I was, it was, a, it was not only was it like, um, a disorder, but then it was something that I had to be in recovery from. And yes. I think that, you know, we often talk a lot when we talk about anti-diet, that there is something that, you know, that you were going through recovery and what does that look mm -hmm. like? And how are you taking care of yourself that, you know, right. taking it, just deciding to stop dieting, you know, it, it needs to be taken very, very seriously in yeah. terms of what your next steps are. It's not just like, oh, you're just a quitter. Like everything else you quit in life, you know, right. <laughs> because Failure. I think we tend to have, yeah. yeah, exactly. There tends to be a, so, especially the diet industry, it really, you know, focuses on the idea that if you decide to quit dieting, it's just because you're a failure right. and, you know, you couldn't cut it and you couldn't do it anymore and that you're like actively putting yourself into recovery. And for me, that was like a mental switch that flipped that really helped mm -hmm. me in terms of like thinking about what came next. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, exactly. Like you said at the beginning, it's just so mind boggling that the behaviors we encourage for people in larger bodies are the behaviors that can be or like can be diagnosable in somebody that has a, in a smaller body or who's restricting. And it's just, it's just so, yeah, full of shame and just full of um, just focusing so much on weight. And thank God we have health at every size. <laughs> yeah, well, even the DSM five, the criteria for yeah. diagnosis, you can oh, yeah. you can see the fat phobia and 
you know, in it. Why just like, if you have a person with anorexia who's clearly restricting and presents with that very low BMI, yes, Mm -hmm. they're clearly classified as anorexic. Whereas if you have a person who is in the high range BMI category and classified it with that word obesity, which is, you know, a bunch of crap, yeah. you know, right, they're, right. they're labeled as atypical anorexia. Yeah. They have the yeah. same exact characteristics, behaviors of the person yeah. with the low BMI. So yeah, just because absolutely. of the weight difference, you know, it's just, it's really, it's a shame because yeah. a lot of people who need the help that, you know, to get better and to heal with their bodies and mm-hmm. food relationships are not getting it. Yeah, absolutely. And a and a thing that just came up for me yesterday with talking with a uh, you know potential client is insurance companies like they don't cover they don't if they yeah they don't cover as much as they should like they're covering bariatric surgery and all this stuff but they're like barely covering eating disorder residential facilities or outpatient and all this stuff it's it's just it's so sad because people, this is a mental illness. It's not, or, you know, eating disorders is a mental illness. Um, and yet our insurance companies are barely, you know, looking at it or barely helping people with it. Um, so that's wow. also something that's disturbing. <laughs> that, I didn't even think about it like that. I didn't realize that they were covering ba- bariatric surgery. I just thought that that was, yeah. you know, considered yeah. like cosmetic Yeah, at least the facility where I used to work, you had to obviously meet a certain criteria on the BMI scale and have a comorbidity or something like that. You know, Um, there's certain criteria, but um, some insurance companies, yeah, they definitely have covered it. So it's, yeah, it's it's just crazy to me. Did you feel like people, did you feel like clients to the clinic were more likely to go there because it was covered and, you know, it felt like a cheaper, uh, or mm. I guess a quick fix option, or is that, is that a Pandora's Ye- box we don't want to open? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can definitely say, and I know I, at least I'm, I'm pretty sure that most, um, bariatric, uh, facilities, yeah, insurances do cover part of it. And that's, you know, that's just part of the diet industry. Like that bariatric surgery is part of the diet industry. So that's how, you know, all these surgeons and the diet industry is just making so much money because of this, because of shaming people into shrinking their bodies. Hmm. That's Uh interesting. Yeah. And then that same shame plays into the same, like your, your clients that come to you, like Hmm. how much are you seeing people feeling a lot of shame when they come to you that they need help with Mm -hmm. disordered eating and the behaviors that they have? Yeah. Yeah. Shame plays a huge role. Shame and guilt. So, and I like to distinguish the two. I always like say, okay, so guilt is I ate something bad. And then shame is I am bad for eating that. So there's a lot of those, those two definitely coexist um, with, with all the clients who I see. Um, And yeah, I think, I think it just plays a role with, you know, the biggest culprit here is like diet culture and how that, diet culture creates this fear of certain foods and then when that person eats that food they shame themselves for it and um it just creates a lot of stress a lot of unhealthy behaviors around food um so yeah i would say like diet culture is 
and you know all the the stuff that we see on social media and all of that that plays a huge role into how people are viewing food and you know a lot of people they tie their worth to food um and you know we and that's what i work with my clients on is like your worth goes beyond what you're eating what your body size looks like it goes beyond all that you know i really hope your friends your family don't like you because you ate a salad or you, you know, you're eating really healthy. I hope they like you and love you because you're a wonderful person with a great personality. Um, cause I, I love Brene Brown. You guys are probably familiar oh, with Brene her. Brown. Yeah. Wait, I think we just amazing. talked about her on our last podcast. We were just oh, like, perfect. Oh, we were, t- did you listen to her interview with Sonia Renee Taylor? No, I, did, I yes. was about to. It is oh. so Oh my good. God. I feel like Everybody I know needs to listen to this episode. Oh, it's good. so good, isn't it? Oh. Did you listen to yes, it, Melissa? It blew my it... mind. I definitely have to listen oh. to it again with pen and paper. One of those. Because there was yeah. so much stuff in there that yeah. I think it's yeah. well worth listening to. Yeah. Again. I know. I was I was listening to it in the car with my 13-year-old daughter because oh. I like wanted her to hear it too. But I kept pausing and be like, preach, preach. <laughs> like, and then I'd be like, I'd go on this whole other tangent and my daughter would roll her eyes. And then I'd be like, okay, fine. Well, let's get back to it. <laughs> so good that's awesome that's awesome yeah so yeah just I love the work that she does and it totally ties into all you know everything that we're doing here with food and and body image so like her her definition of shame is intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging so how this relates to food is obviously you know I did something bad I am bad I'm flawed because I can't eat, quote unquote, like perfectly, um, which that doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, then that makes me unworthy of love by those around me or by um, just just our our world. Like if I I, my body doesn't um, deserve love because it doesn't look like this ideal person on social media. You know, my body doesn't deserve belonging because I don't look like the models. I don't look like what society is telling me to look. I don't fit into the BMI category, you know, all that junk. Um, And so that's where so much shame and just so many uh, thoughts around your body, thoughts around food that are just so harmful for your overall mental and physical well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think too, you know, we, we've grown up in this society where we have a, a sense that, you know, if we do A, then B will mm-hmm. happen. And, and it doesn't work that way with dieting. Right. And so you end up with so many women who are stuck in a cycle of yo-yo dieting. They're working harder than anyone else at anything else, you know, trying to figure this out. And then their bodies betray them by gaining weight. Right. And it's like one of these things where you just, you're walking around feeling shameful about something that you generally have no control over Mm -hmm. and and you you know and again it's this idea of like dieting is the number one predictor of weight gain so you've been trying so hard at something for so long and then to feel like a failure when you are otherwise successful in so many other ways yeah absolutely (sighs) and uh, you know I just I think I was saying this in one of our other episodes too like just feeling like I used to when I used to be a Weight Watchers leader Mm. and I remember like one of my big aha moments was feeling like you know diet chronic dieters are just some of the hardest working people on the right 
and and to feel so con and yet they also constantly feel like I haven't figured it out right. yet. You know, what's wrong like, with me? I'm broken. What's wrong yeah. with me? I'm broken and I'm not doing it right. And, and I'm a failure. And it's yeah. just, it's just so upsetting yeah. to watch other people, you know, even if you're not aware of it yourself, just mm-hmm. watching other people stuck in that cycle. Absolutely. And like, imagine what like women, you know, women, guys, but like, we're, you know, we feel, I, that's usually my practice is working with women, but um, imagine all that energy that they put towards dieting and just trying to change their bodies and all that. Imagine if they put it towards something, you know, more productive or more beneficial for their overall health, whether that's like, I mean, I don't even know what I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but yeah, like putting all that energy towards something that's going to benefit the environment or benefit your family, all of that, you know, um, just that energy can be used in such a better way. A hundred percent. So can you tell us, um, so you're working more now with disordered eating and dieting clients, mm-hmm. or do you work now with eating disordered clients? Yeah. So I actually work at a, so I have my own private practice and then I actually work at a eating disorder clinic. Um, I think I told you, Melissa, it's Ipono. Um, so I work there. It's, it's like outpatient. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She works with Anita Johnson. Yeah. I know. Oh my goodness. She's wonderful. I wish you could see, I have my notes here and, and I have most important question in all caps. How does someone from Boston get to live in Hawaii? We have to get to that at some point. We will not. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that, that kind of plays into this a little bit, but, um, yeah. So I, uh, I work there so that, yeah, I'm working with those with eating disorders um, there. And then I have a few clients in my private practice who have eating disorders and, you know, I'm definitely more willing um, to take more clients on, but I may, I, yeah, I mainly work with, I'd say a good, maybe 75% of my clients are um, those with uh, disordered eating, chronic dieting, all of that. And we focus on intuitive eating. So, and health at every size. So it's wonderful. If you had yeah. to, like, would you say that there's any one, one biggest struggle right now that your clients are trying to overcome and like how you help them overcome it? Hmm. It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely, there's a lot of, food stuff there's a lot of food their relationship with food but a lot of it just ties back to their body and so what we've been challenging recently is um obviously showing yourself compassion and grace that's you know my my um, intuitive eating program is called grace over guilt um so showing yourself that grace and forgiveness um with food with your body um and a big thing is is really where are you putting your energy and your anger towards? Are you putting your anger towards your body or are you putting your anger towards something that is more beneficial like diet culture and this thin ideal and all of that? So we've been, uh, a couple of my clients, we've been really focusing on that lately. That's just something I can think of, you know, off the top of my head, we've been focusing on. Um, So you have because a lot of the times, yeah, you're, you're shaming your body, you're angry at your body, why doesn't it look this way, all of that. And so you're putting that anger towards yourself, 
When in reality, who's telling you your body should look that way? Who's telling you your body is quote unquote bad or, you know, not worthy of being um, belonging in this world? It's, it's everything out there. It's external stuff. Um, so we have to change that internal dialogue and project your anger towards something, you know, obviously it's not great to be like, angry all the time, but like <laughs> project your anger towards diet culture and the thin ideal and, um, yeah, what, what they tell us we should look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That goes, I mean, it's sort of falls in line with, with what you were saying before that, and that great quote from the beauty myth about, you know, dieting being a political, a mm. politi- potent political sedative, um, like keeping women quietly mad. Exactly. Definitely. And, you know, you should be angry at the people who've been selling you up the river. Yeah. Yeah. Without, they're making, they're profiting off of it. That's the messed up part. Just think of, I think it was um, Christy Harrison's book, uh, Anti-Diet, which is amazing. Um, so she, she said something like, it's just like, you know, the diet industry is just a bunch of, it's white supremacy, like it's rooted in that. Um, and, you know, the fat phobia is rooted in that and how all these guys are sitting in their office making tons of money off of women just hating on themselves. And it's just, it's so sad. So it's like project your anger towards those guys, like who are making money. Um, yeah. Instead of your body. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, when I felt so betrayed by Oprah when she, mm. um, mm-hmm. when she bought into Weight Watchers and it was a New York magazine article talking about how the, the diet industry is like the perfect business model because when you're mm-hmm. successful, the company takes all of the credit, but when you fail, you blame yourself. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. it is the perfect, but no wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you just go back for more because you think the next one will help and just you'll do better next time. Maybe it was the time of year, maybe it was stressful, whatever. No, it's not yeah. that. It's you're not a failure. The diet failed you. Yeah, that's another good Aaron Flores quote. Yeah, so good. <laughs> So tell us about this Grace Over Guilt, the free program that you have. I know you have like a downloadable on your website. I love the name Grace. Um, And how did you choose Grace besides just the cool alliteration? But like Grace Over Guilt, it's it's such a nice word. Thank you. Yeah. So I, um, there's like a couple of reasons, but I just kept going back. I was talking to clients um, and we just kept going back to grace. Let me just get like saying that word. Um, so giving yourself this, um, like, uh, undeserved favor or, and so it ties back to like my clients and how we've been talking about it for so long. Um, and also my faith, like I, I'm a Christian. And so that word grace has like a beautiful, it's just beautiful in the context of the Bible and, um, yeah. And, and my faith. So it, it, fit perfectly with how we need to give ourselves more grace and understanding and love and compassion, all those good things, instead of all the guilt, like no more guilt and a lot more grace. And, you know, the more that we are able to provide ourselves and cultivate this compassion, the more that we're going to be able to do that for others, you know, and that's, that's such a beautiful thing. If we're able to do this for ourselves and create, um, you know, a positive, um, feelings and energy towards ourselves, we're able to do that with, uh, with others as well. 
So that was, yeah, that was my, how I got into that. So there's a couple meanings. Definitely. Um, I just, I like the word too. I think it's, it's a beautiful word. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 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 And then, so yeah, my grace, uh, grace over guilt program, that's my intuitive eating foundation. So yeah, I have a down downloadable, um, grace over guilt guide that will help people, you know, it's not the, it's not going to solve all your problems, but it can help move you a little bit closer to understanding your body and getting away from the guilt around food. Um, and then I have my grace over guilt intuitive eating foundations group, which is a group coaching program, which I love the setting of group coaching because you're with other women who are struggling with the same stuff and you can cheer each other on. You can, um, help each other out when you guys are struggling with different things. So I, uh, I run that every couple of weeks or so. Um, and so I'm starting one actually in a couple of weeks in like four weeks, October 20th or something like that, I think, um, that week. So, um, yeah, and it's just been going so well and I'm super grateful for the clients and, um, just, just them being vulnerable and being open to intuitive eating and all that. That's great. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I, you know, just sort of it, it community is so important when it comes yeah. to this recovery. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with dieting, like they always say, like find a buddy and join a group and go to Weight Watchers mm -hmm. or, you know, like there's so such a sense of finding somebody to keep you accountable yeah. uh, when it comes to dieting. And, and I think sometimes when you decide to turn away from that, it can be very lonely because sure. you're, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. I know, I know my own mother was like very, very mm. confused uh -huh. <laughs> because it goes against, you know, it just goes against everything we've been taught for decades. Sure. You know? Yeah. Okay. So now you have to tell me why, how, <laughs> how do you get to live in Hawaii? <laughs> That's so great. Um, it was like the first question I asked Melissa. I was like, I, I need to know. How is this girl in Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually, well, it's funny because right now I'm in Boston. I'm just visiting family for a month and that's the, the positives of, um, having an online business. Well, a lot of things are online now, but so I can go visit family in Boston. So yeah, I was born and raised in Boston or outside of Boston. And then I did my internship at Cal State Long Beach. Um, and that was a really great experience. Again, I really enjoyed. And so my sister and I, we had planned a vacation. So we planned it in April and it was for August. It was August, 2018. And I had take I had to take my RD exam a couple weeks before that vacation, and I was like, "All right, well, if I pass my RD exam, you know, I could either move back home or I could just move to Hawaii." And I was like, "Hmm, all right, hopefully I pass." But <laughs> a couple weeks before that exam, I was like, "All right, no, I'm gonna just move there regardless. Let me pack up all my stuff. I'm gonna stay there after the vacation." My sister went back home because she has a great job here, um, in Boston. And, uh, so I went, um, I packed everything up and it was just, there was a lot of timing things. And I feel like God was working for me because there was like my friend's cousin needed me to dog sit the day after my sister left. And they ended up letting me, um, stay there for a little bit. And that was, I was super grateful towards them for that. And then I just, yeah, I just found a, found a place and didn't have a job. That was the crazy people like, what? You didn't have a job when you were moving to Hawaii? I was like, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was definitely courageous, definitely a leap of faith, but I am so grateful to be there and to enjoy it and just explore. And there's so much goodness, um, 
on the islands and I'm, I'm, I'm on Oahu. So the most populated islands. So yeah, it's just been a really cool experience and you got to take a leap of faith sometimes, you know, you could end up in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So I do have a question about Hawaii. All right. Um, so I'm just wondering, like the people that live there, like the, the actual people that are from the island, not the people like you that transplanted there. Yeah. What is their kind of like body feelings like do you notice that they're affected by diet culture or unaffected or like mm. is the culture like big as beautiful because I've, I've seen pictures of Hawaii and I've, I've noticed that some of the people are bigger um like well and doesn't Anita Johnson often talks about like her growing up in on Guam mm-hmm, right isn't she, mm-hmm. she, isn't she from Guam and she talks about how you know in that particular island culture that there was no yeah fat phobia that the women's bodies were kind of celebrated at a yeah side. absolutely which is such a beautiful thing yeah exactly that's kind of eh, it's like it it's definitely I see that but then I also working at the weight management center I saw the yeah the the diet culture side of things um and for for the locals um or more so the native Hawaiians so um yeah I definitely think that they are more just like wanting to enjoy food and wanting to be around uh, friends and family and not really focus so much on their bodies. Um, But then I think there is, you know, diet culture starting to creep in with that as well, which is awful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just, it's, it's gotta be hard because like you guys are in like probably I think a dieter's worst nightmare situation of like yeah. having to be in a bathing suit most of right, the year. Right, right. <laughs> so like that's gotta Depression. be a really challenging <laughs> experience, like to constantly be in that. I mean, it's beautiful, but like yeah. for a person who struggles with body image and and weight, you know, to have to kind of face that on a regular. Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny you say that because. I have had like friends visit, like my cousin, all this stuff. And, um, you know, yeah, it's hot. So you wear less (laughs) clothes. Um, and so I, uh, I, I'm used to it now since I've been there for two years. Um, but it's definitely something that they like, just even staying with me for however long they have, like, wait, you don't have to like cover up or you know people walk <laughs> this is crazy people walk into stores like guys walk into stores without a shirt on with just you know their bathing suit on and sometimes without even shoes like it's just such a chill vibe like what you think of Hawaii is probably accurate in some ways um but very chill like yeah people are just like yeah we're gonna go swimming like you just wear, wear, bring your bathing suit, you know, wear your bathing suit, um, for most of the day sometimes. And so <laughs> you definitely have to be comfortable. So yeah, you, um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. My name is balanced.nutrition. So balanced.nutrition. And then, um, my website is just Jenna Corsi, C-O-R-S-I, nutrition.com. So that has a lot of information and that's how you can work with me either one-on-one or in the group coaching setting. Um, but if you just message me on Instagram, I would love to chat with you. Um, definitely love, you know, talking to people. That's my thing. So, um, yeah, so you can reach me there. And then my, I mean, email, which if, yeah, if people want it, you can. So it's just my name, Jenna Corsi, RD at gmail.com. Perfect. Yay.
I appreciate you awesome. so much. Thank you Aww. for your time. I know you're super busy with your private practice now. You're killing it. With all, your, all your stuff. Um, and I just love how peaceful you are. All like you make me calmer when I oh. when I listen to you. So keep up the great work, and I'll keep sending people your way. Thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate that. You guys are great. Appreciate chatting with you guys and um, the invite to jump on here. Appreciate it. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you are enjoying the Hello Body podcast, please take a minute to give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps with our visibility and attracting new listeners. In the meantime, have a great day and we will see you soon.